And so, before we begin to study the depths of our inheritance that is in Jesus Christ, the unchanging epigraph of our study of our inheritance is the book of Luke. 24:44. Then Jesus said to his disciples, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And so that we, as the participants of the body of Christ, would share together with Christ all the things that are written about him in Scripture, we will continue to study our collaboration with the truth of the Word of God and with the Holy Spirit revealing the truth in our heart, looking at what we need to do from our side to receive the right to the power to put off our former way of life so we can put on the new way of life. <coughs> Ephesians 4:22 through 24 that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. To fulfill this commanding order, this place of scripture is one of the uh, it's one of the doctrines that identifies our calling, one, uh, our goal, what we are to strive for, what does God command us to do, what is he calling us to do. He's not calling us to evangelize, absolutely not. He is calling us so that we put off our former way of life of the old man, renew our mind by the spirit of our mind, and that we put on the new person. When we are clothed into our new person, we'll be a light for the world. And then wherever we may be, we will evangelize uh, the people with our light. And it will be because of the form of our life. To fulfill this commanding order, we see we have been studying three vital charging and fundamental acts, and these are linked to this uh, calling, to our calling to put off something, renew something, and put on something. We've noted that is specifically your decision regarding these three destiny-affecting acts to put off, be renewed, and put on that will determine whether you transform yourself into a vessel of mercy or a vessel of wrath. More specifically, will the realization of our salvation come to pass, given to us in the format of a guarantee, or will we lose it, which will then result in our names being forever blotted out of the book of life, although it may have been written there at one time. Names of millions of Christians that were truly born from the seed of the word of truth will be blotted out of the book of life and the reason for that is because someone convinced them that the salvation they received is no longer able to be questioned it's not able to be lost no one has told them a sermon that this is a conditional salvation this is conditional 
Something needs to still happen. You need to do something to confirm it. It's in the form of a guarantee. We receive it in the form of a seed, not in the form of fruit. If you receive it in the form of fruit, our salvation, then this is a very different thing. But everything we receive, we receive in the form of a seed. And if we receive it in the form of a seed, then this seed needs to still be grown. And to grow it means you need to turn it to profit, uh, throw it into the ground, lose it so that it dies put it into the ground so it dies and bears fruit. In a specific format, we already studied the first two questions and stopped to study the third question. What conditions do we need to fulfill so that by the means of an already renewed mind, we can begin the process of clothing ourselves into the power of our new person that is created in accordance to God in Christ Jesus in righteousness and holy truth. <clears throat> this process is a significantly long process and a difficult with uh, suffering process. And there was a continual uh, battle uh, between the house of David and house of Saul, and the house of David became stronger and stronger, house of Saul became weaker and weaker. It won't be as some think that in the blink of an eye everything will just happen. In the blink of an eye our bodies will be transformed from a mortal or carnal body, they'll become heavenly or immortal. Everything else is a process in which we need to participate, fulfilling specific conditions so that we form or uh, provide God proper uh, a proper right or grounds to fulfill his part of the covenant. Relevant to this, we already studied a series of parables and events. We became familiar with the conditions that we need to fulfill in order to, by the name of God, El Elyon, or God Most High, to destroy the stronghold of death in our body in the form of reigning in its sin, identifying the essence of our old person with his deeds, so that we can forever thrust him out from our body into hell with noise, and afterwards erect the kingdom of of heaven in the form of the stronghold of eternal life in the place of the stronghold of death within our body and stop to study the next question uh, next condition and this condition consists in the 18th psalm of david where the holy spirit with the right that he alone has reveals the condition based upon which we are called to collaborate our faith prayer with the name of god el elyon or god most high and this condition is that in the circumstances of our hardship in life, when we are putting off the old man with his deeds, we can call upon the Most High as to our God and confess the faith of our heart, stating who God is to us in Jesus Christ, what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, and who we are to God in Jesus Christ. When we hear the word, who we are in Jesus Christ, who God is for us, and who we are for Him, we immediately receiving this need to confirm it other, uh, and uh, confess it, saying, Thank you, Lord, for who you are to me, my deliverer, my salvation. You've redeemed me, you delivered me, you justified me, you made me righteous in Jesus Christ. Thank you that you have made me your son. When we say these things, the, these words, the Holy Spirit takes them and the Holy Spirit clothes us into these words. When we're silent or don't agree with what we hear, we understand, but we're silent. We don't confess the things we accept. It dies. 
within our heart. And we hear it again, the promise, we again receive it, but we don't confess, and it dies. And our heart then turns into a cemetery of promises. We receive them and they die because we have not taken the initiative to confirm them. Uh, by confessing them with our mouth, we are able to grow our salvation in our heart and save our soul and our body because God has fulfilled his role. He has already gave, given his only begotten son so that he can adopt our body by the redemption of Christ. He already fulfilled his part. It is necessary for us to fulfill our part. And when we hear this, we need to immediately uh, confess the words. Every free minute to confess. Every free minute, confess. Even when you're communicating with someone, Keep this in your mind. You talk to someone and then afterwards say, Thank you, Lord, that I have become a carrier of your heavenly body. That thank you that in Jesus Christ I have died for sin and live for you. Proclaim that not existent as existent when you go to sleep and when you wake up in the morning. And you will see how your life will literally begin to change. We've noted that this event that we are studying here is one of the most powerful and voluminous symbols demonstrating the collaboration of our renewed mind in the form of King David with the name of God Most High and the confrontation of our carnal mind in the form of King Saul and reigning sin in the form of our old person with his deeds. It, I shall remind us that all of this can happen. These three kings can demonstrate themselves in our body only when we are obedient to the word of God. We are obedient to the word that we hear and begin to confess it. When you begin to confess it, then you suddenly will begin to see these kings. You will notice them, and so the two will demonstrate themselves, and you as the third king. And in your body, there will become a, there will be a war that will begin to take place. The old person will support Saul. He will not support David, he will support Saul. Each one from his side will attack. It is by the means of the confession of the faith of our heart, stating who God is to us in Jesus Christ and what God has done in Jesus Christ and who we are to God in Jesus Christ. God receives the required basis or grounds to join the battle for our earthly bodies in order to shame the reigning in our body sin, who is this old person by the power of his redemption and forever cast him into hell with noise. In character, the prayer psalm of David contains three parts where we see an example of the character of legitimate prayer. The first part identifies the condition or state of David's heart as a warrior in prayer. This condition of his heart was the grounds for the legitimate status of his prayer. The kind of heart you have is the kind of prayer you will also have. If your heart does not have the state of a warrior in prayer, then the prayer of such a person will not go beyond the roof of the building he's in. And if that's not enough, the prayer will actually work against him. He speaks the right words, he hears, he reads, 
he confesses, but it will be contrary, it will be idle words. It will kill him instead of give, give him life, because he states what is written in the Bible, but not what is written upon the tablets of his own heart. In the Bible, there are many things written, and people have been taught that you take the word of God, you take the Bible, you open it, you find a promise, and then claim it. Say, thank you, Lord, that this belongs to me. But in order for it to belong to you, you need to receive it by hearing and not by reading. Because when you for yourself read, in your mind as Saul, there are things like what happened. I thought in my mind that this would be best for the Lord our God. You see what our mind does. It always thinks not the things that the Lord thinks. He, they, it, it comes to its own conclusions. Why will we lose these great uh, flocks? Why will we kill them? Let us bring them as a sacrifice. We can bring them as a sacrifice to God. That's what he uh, decided to do. And he wanted to offer these flocks that did not belong to him. God wants you to bring your own offering to him, but you're bringing him an offering uh, that belongs to somebody else. Uh, these are sheep. The king Agag, he had a sheep also. And you'll say, how is this so? Reigning sin has its own sheep. Yes, it helps a person to serve God. As soon as uh, uh, the old person begins to uh, uh, support and help a person serve, it takes the pure form of mentality and helps them. But we talked about the fact that what is pure doesn't mean, if something's pure, doesn't mean that it's holy. But what is holy is always pure. A holy uh, offering is something that's brought upon an altar, but it needs to be brought upon the altar. And inside you need to be this way and prepared for the offering Saul was not prepared inwardly he was not a warrior in prayer and he perfectly understood that David was an anointed man from God he's anointed to the kingdom that he is ruling over now he knows that the kingdom has been taken from him because he allowed himself to uh, make conclusions of his own for what was good for God. And uh, Samuel said, the Lord has rejected you and have, has found another man that's after his own heart. And here's this other one. And what needs to happen? And so Saul needs to be removed from the path. And this battle started at the time. The second part reveals the consistency of legitimate prayer, which gave God the proper basis to deliver David from the hand of all of his enemies, from the hand of Saul and from the hand of Agag, king, uh, the king of the Malachites, the old person. The third part describes the prayer battle itself, which surpasses the comprehension of the simple human mind because it is written in an epic genre in a form of an allegory. In a specific format, we already looked at the first part and stopped to look at the second part, which reveals the consistency of legitimate prayer contained in the eight names of God Most High. It reveals what comes from the state 
of a warrior in prayer. State means it's upon the tablets of the heart, the commandments of God, the statutes of God, the precious promises of God, the inheritance of God. All of this is imprinted upon his heart, heart and he's confessing these things. Getting to know and confessing the power contained in the heart of David in the eight following names of God allowed David to love and call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised so he could be saved from his enemies. And for God, discovering the truth, revealing the power of his names in the heart of David provided God proper grounds to use his abilities that consist in his eight names to battle against the enemies of David. I will also uh, note one detail that's very important. We begin to get to know God when we confess the faith of our heart. By confessing the faith of our heart, we begin to get to know God. God gives us the ability to finally know himself. We more deeply begin to know him. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Psalm 18, 1 through 3. And so here the prayer consists of eight names. Eight is a symbol of the covenant. As we talk about, there are many more than eight names of God that exist, but this eight, these eight are sufficient because all these eight names are one in the other. They support one the other, they come one from the other, and they confirm the truthful nature of one the other. They are in a miraculous balance, one with the other. It cannot be that the lot of the name of one of God's name be greater and the other less. They are all in balance with one the other. As in Ezekiel, it is written, uh, uh, we... Uh, a wheel and a wheel. It's kind of hard to understand, of course, with the mind, but with the heart, it is able to be understood. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my fortress. The Lord is my deliverer. The Lord is my strength in whom I will trust. The Lord is my shield. The Lord is the horn of my salvation. The Lord is my stronghold. What I uh, listed right now, when you list it with your own mouth, and immediately things will begin to happen with you. In a specific format, as much as the Lord has allowed in the measure of our faith, we already looked at our inherited lot that is in Jesus Christ in the power of three names of God, strength, rock, and fortress, and stop to study our inherited lot that is in Jesus Christ in the name of God, deliver. We will remember that this nature of prayer where David confesses his lot in the eight existing names of God Most High is the strategic teaching that is purposed to be the calling and mantle of a king, people that are a king, a priest, and a prophet anointed to rule over their earthly body, <clears throat> not over someone else or something else, but over themselves. And if a person has not accepted the given to him anointed to rule over his calling, our calling is the adoption of our body by the redemption of Christ. If he has not accepted this in the form of <clears throat> the status of a king and a uh, priest and a prophet, then his revelation 
that our earthly body that is to become a heavenly body will not give this person any or this prayer about that will not benefit him therefore the quality in Lexus and identifying the name of God deliver is as with the previous names of God is not able to be found in any dictionary of the world you may find parts and pieces but not the full definition of it deliver is the leader or chief of the covenant you will not find in the dictionary that he is the chief of the covenant even in the Jewish dictionaries this can be found by searching and studying all of Scripture when the Holy Spirit begins to reveal what I say, every one of these uh, definitions is in Scripture and not just in one place but many places that confirm that God as the Deliverer is the Chief of the Covenant. He is the Redeemer from the slavery of sin and death. He is the Savior of the body, one who protects from the wrath the wrath of God or protects us from his own wrath, one that reinstates our rights to the inheritance. He is the one that places us into safety as his holy possession, and he preserves our guarantee until the coming of Christ. All of this is in the word or the name of God deliver. In the given prayer psalm of David, the name of God deliver contains the inherited lot of the Son of God, and we in him already received this inheritance in whom and by whom a person can collaborate with the power contained in the name of God deliverer and receives the ability to turn the guarantee of his salvation to profit. This profit is the saving of his soul and adopting his body by the redemption of Christ. The profit of our guarantee in the seat of salvation is the uh, salvation of our soul and the adoption of our body by the re uh, redemption of Christ. Because when we're born, again, our spirit and is born, but our soul still remains the same, in the same state. It re is resistant to the spirit, and the spirit resists the soul because it's carnal. Why? was Adam not able to take of the fruit of the tree of life because he was a carnal man, he was of the flesh, not spirit, and he was more attracted to the things that were of the flesh. Not, he was not uh, attracted to getting to know God. He, a person always is uh, attracted to who he will be, how he will appear. He is not attracted to knowing God. We need to understand that the most important thing is to know God. Moses understood that, and he said, If I have found favor, favor in your sight, then open your way to me so that I may know you and receive your favor. You see how important it is to have favor and receiving this favor, you turn to God so that it opens up the way to which uh, that you can take to know him. The way is a process, specific conditions that you're to fulfill so that God can allow you to know him. And when we know God, we receive a new measure, a greater measure of God's favor. That is what many of the men and women of faith desired. Today, people seek to rebuke demons, to heal, and materialistically prosper, evangelize, 
And this gives fame and success, and they in their mind, in their mind, they have this heretic thought that because we do this, we will inherit the kingdom of heaven. It's somewhere sitting in their mind, uh, this these, uh, this thought. Actually, salvation is exclusively a gift of God that's given in the form of a seed, and then we grow it, and we grow it together with God, together with the truth of the Word of God, collaborating with the truth in the Holy Spirit that reveals the truth in our heart. Considering such a necessary balance or such a union between God and man, it has become vital for us to determine in every aspect of our essence, the role of God and the role of man. And for this purpose, we studied our lot in the previous names of God called to be the lot of our salvation, and we have come to the necessity to study a series of questions. What characteristics and categories identify our inherited lot in the name of God Deliverer? What role does our inherited lot in the name of God Deliverer play in achieving our salvation? What price do we need to pay? In the name of God, Deliverer, we cannot be conceived by the seed of God. We are conceived in the in in the name uh, fortress. What price do we need to pay in order to provide God the proper grounds to be our deliverer? And by what results do we need to determine that God truly is our deliverer in achieving our calling? Not having clear and comprehensive answers to these questions that we are able to receive exclusively by being instructed in the faith within the strict order in which the body of Christ functions, that is, if the church is has a democratic structure and the person that stands ahead of this church is a person that is elected by votes, by the majority of, vo of votes, then in such a church, there will never be such a sermon. There will be phrase or slogans, but there will not be a revelation, and you will never be able to receive, because the body of Christ functions there where there's a structure of theocracy, as uh, the human body functions because of the head, one head on the shoulders, and because of this head, uh, the rest of the body functions. But when there's a pastor that another an entire brotherly council uh, controls or tends, then that means that this service has many heads. This is a, a multi-headed uh, beast, as it were. It is not a body of Christ. It can't function as a body of Christ. The Holy Spirit cannot achieve what he wants. He works with them as infants and people that are carnal, but not as people that have left spiritual infancy and have come into full measure of growth in Christ because they, to be conceived by the seed of the word is something that can happen to people that have grown into full measure of growth in Christ, that have died for their flesh, that have left spiritual infancy that now the brotherly council is not their authority but one individual and there's of course helpers that this pastor has but they understand that the main face the main person individual the one that God has placed. And when I say this, you know, all the surrounding Protestant churches say this is heretic 
He is a heretic because they all want to participate or take part in the in control. They all want to rule. But the person that is placed by God, just so you know, he absolutely has no desire to control or rule. He is he does not have this desire and he doesn't do that. This is actually uh, unacceptable uh, to him and it's not in his in his uh, heart or nature. Everything he does, he shows an she, he is an example to the to the flock. Apostle Peter said, "Do not control the flock, but be an example for the flock." That is who the true apostles are. And so if we do not understand this order in which the body of Christ functions, we will not have any ability to invest our silver in the form of our guarantee of salvation. Second, without strictly obeying the preached word of the person that possesses the authority of a father from God and his helpers, we will not have and and we will not have then any ability to receive profit in the form of the fruit of righteousness from the seed of guarantee that we have invested. This for them also is a heretic form of teaching for Protestants. For Catholics and Protestants, this isn't because they have a priest and they call that priest a father, and that's how they regard them, father or padre. And so in different languages, also uh, in the Slavic, they also refer to him as a father. So this truth is not yet perverted, but pro Protestants that uh, boast about their uh, spiritual uh, demonstrations and so forth, the Protestants and Catholics today speak in tongues and practice spiritual gifts and rebuke demons. And so you're not the only ones, those who think that they are, but this doctrine is very important and it remains clear. <clears throat> For all of the promises of God in him are yes, Apostle Paul writes, are in him yes and in him amen to the glory of God through us, 2 Corinthians 1.20. All of the promises that a person can receive, he can receive them only by acknowledging these people, apostles and, and fathers. If we do not acknowledge in them a father, if we don't acknowledge their authority, we do not obey their words, then not a single promise is able to be ours. We can say that it belongs to us, uh, we can confess it, it could be within our mind, and if we're worship, this is a mind that we ourselves worship, but it won't be in your heart. In a specific format, we already looked at the essence of the first two questions and stopped to study the third question. What price do we need to pay in order to provide God proper grounds to be our deliverer? Or what conditions do we need to fulfill so that we receive the right to the power to collaborate with the power of God contained in his name, deliverer? Considering that we already studied the first five elements in the previous service, we will immediately turn to study the sixth. In order to give God legitimate grounds to be our deliverer from Goliath that is present within our body, it is necessary by the means of the confession of the faith of our heart to confirm the accomplished within our body deliverance from the lion and the bear. 
in the beginning, <coughs> we need to confess the already fact of the deliverance of the lion and bear, only then will we receive the right to destroy Goliath in our body. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him, because of this Goliath, the Philistine. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it, and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your, the lion and bear, your servant, had killed both, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he confesses here, before he goes against Goliath, he confesses, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And after these words, Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. 1 Samuel 17, 32-37, the symbol of Goliath that lives within our body is a symbol of our will that belongs to the aspect of our uncircumcised soul. The will is the uh, power of a person, it's power in him. And so it belongs to the aspect of our uncircumcised soul that is under the influence of our old person living within our body. The symbol of the lion and the bear living within our body is a symbol of our thoughts or our mind that also belongs to the aspect of our uncircumcised soul that is under the influence of our old person living within our body. When it comes to David, however, the lion and the bear representing uncircumcised thoughts did not exist with him for the reason that the form of the thoughts that he kept or that he tended in his mind were the thoughts of the sheep of his father, which indicates the fact that his mind was circumcised or renewed by the spirit of his mind. This is evident from his words, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth, which symbolically indicates the fact that every uncircumcised thought that comes from the entrails of the old person living within his body in the symbol of the lion and the bear that pursued the thoughts of his father was immediately struck and killed by his renewed mind. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground and do not sow among thorns. Circumcise yourself to the Lord and take away the foreskin of your heart. You men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn so that no one can quench it because of the evil of your doings. O Jerusalem, wash your heart from wickedness that you may be saved. How long shall your evil thoughts lodge within you? Jeremiah 4, 3 through 14. And so we see here that these evil or wicked thoughts are a symbol of the lion and the bear living in his mind. And these evil thoughts are your mentality about earthly things or worldly things. Paul says to his uh, fellow brothers, I ask you, implore you to think about the things of on high instead of the things here on earth because your life is 
in Christ with God. When he appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Meditate about your future. The ground covered with thorns, here it's talking about where it says, break up your fallow ground and do not sow among thorns. The ground covered with thorns is a symbol of a conscience that is not cleansed from dead works in which nest evil thoughts about materialistic prosperity that a person perceives as spiritual maturity and good works. That which is sown. Now, he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of his riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. Matthew 13:22. He hears the word, but because the cares of this age, these thorns, are this lion and bear to David that come and try to take or overcome uh, the pure thoughts that he was uh, tending. And the prophet says, break up the fallow ground. Breaking up of the fallow ground is a symbol of destroying the nest containing evil thoughts, which is the cleansing of your conscience from dead works, which are perceived as good works that come from the uncircumcised mind being supported by the old person. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Hebrews 10, 19 through 23. Sprinkling is the confession of the faith of the heart. When you begin to confess that we have died for sin, not, it just it says, consider yourself dead to sin, living for God, but state this also consider but state it also confess the not existent as existent it doesn't mean uh, just consider yourself dead to it but say it state these things with your mouth begin to say before God thank you Lord that I have died to sin by the body of Christ thank you that in Jesus Christ I have resurrected and that my heart is cleansed because it cannot just be cleansed like that. It needs to be cleansed by your confessions. This is not an encounter, and such confession needs to continue while we are in these mortal bodies. And we need to proclaim that not existent as existent continuously. Thank God that we are not in these mortal bodies anymore, but in bodies that are immortal. And then God will account this to us. And then when we break up fallow ground, remove the thorns from our ground, from our earth, from our soil, remove from the territory where these weeds are, where these thorns are. 
Circumcising the foreskin of your heart is a symbol of our tongue that is placed in dependence of our conscience that is cleansed from dead works, in which is imprinted the truth of the elementary teaching of Christ, which is the demonstration of the faith of God that abides within our heart, that is, true virtue that reveals itself in the truth of the elementary teaching of Christ. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were in, in, into Jesus Christ were baptized into his into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into his death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. All read this, but they don't say, now proclaim this not existent as existent. Stop continuously saying, forgive, have mercy, forgive, have mercy. Begin to thank God for his mercy that you are already renewed. Why does a person go to sleep and says, Lord, show me mercy? He wakes up saying, Lord, show me mercy. He walks during the day and constantly, show me mercy, show me mercy. And so here is something that doesn't show a difference between the, <clears throat> the Orthodox and the Protestants. Lord, show me mercy, show me mercy, show me mercy. But you just change uh, diff uh, the tone in which they say or sing it. I remember when they took me to the army. And I was in one place, and I heard as one person was singing, Lord, give me mercy, show me mercy, show me mercy. He knew I was Christian, and he comes up to me and gives me a guitar and says, can you sing one of your songs that Lord have mercy? I began to sing, I'm Christian and want to continue to be one. And my joy is in this, uh, is in this uh, being Christian. And then I sung a second song that we just sung. In these songs, it doesn't have show me mercy because God has already shown us mercy in Jesus Christ and waits that we thank him for that mercy, begin to talk about it. And when we begin to talk about this, then the Holy Spirit takes those words and cloaks us from inside inside and outside so we can walk in newness of life for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection knowing this that our old man was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. Likewise, you also reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6, 3 through 11. When we begin to confess what we right now just read, only then does God receive the proper grounds to cloak us into what we confess. The unfortunate thing is that people read this, preach about this. I hear many preachers talk about this in my life because I, since my youth, 
are has been have been in a church and this place has been brought forth many times and by many different preachers but it was just read but never explained ever explained in any way it was just read and nothing more but if people would have been have been uh, told what this what this is and that it's already happened, you don't need to feel that what you heard is God's faith. This is information. It's not what you feel. It's what you know. And this knowledge comes from hearing. Stop continuously asking about mercy. You have already been shown mercy. You are already, you have already been shown mercy. Upon your account, there's an inheritance uh, that's there, limitless inheritance, and instead of thanking God for it, you continue to remain poor and unfortunate, pitiful. People, because of ignorance, sometimes what is already paid for them, when they don't know, they don't use it. When I, for the first time, was in an airplane, and they began to give out uh, meals, and I was very um, embarrassed at that time and thought that you needed to pay for this. I didn't know that it was already covered in the in the in the payment. And then they came to me and asked me, "What do you want?" And I said, "Thank you. I don't want anything." But they just uh, uh, gestured with their shoulder and came up to me again and again and again. Do you want a drink? Do you want food? And I kept saying, "No, no, no." And only then did I find out that I already paid for it, but I couldn't use it. Why? Because I didn't know. I just did not know about it. I knew also... I know a story also about a one a woman. She was a widow. She, was dis she disciplined her son uh, alone. She raised him and had two jobs and put everything in his son, in her son. And the son uh, grew up went uh, went to a different country, got a good job, and sent letters to her mother, to his mother. And uh, the neighbor asked her one day, is your son helping you? Uh, and does he write to you? She didn't uh, say anything. And in every letter that he wrote her, there was a check. And a large check for a large, amount, a, a big amount of money. He, she didn't know what they were. She said he's sending some kind of papers, but she didn't know the value. She could have bought herself a house, literally had servants, and live as a as a a very wealthy woman and lived very poor. Why? She didn't know the value of these papers. We don't know the value of the word of God that we read. We don't know. Why? Because those that are leaders also do not know. And why don't they know? Because we chose them for ourselves. If we would not have chosen them, but would have taken the way of theocracy so that God gave to us a person, acknowledge that person, God gives such people in churches, but these people are very much attacked and they are never chosen because they will never, uh, these uh, people so chosen by God will never obey a brotherly group or council of, uh, of, of brothers that 
And so these people are, are not accepted amongst the people. God does give his people. He loves his children. And people don't know that they have a person among them that has the revelation, but they don't want those revelations. They don't or even want to listen to that person. They are afraid of him. And every sermon begins to be investigated in detail. What is this? Because this person destroys false religion. And so let us now return to our text. In order to provide God proper grounds to deliver us from Goliath, it is necessary by the way of confession to confirm the already accomplished within our body deliverance from the lion and the, and the bear. In order to be delivered from the lion and the bear, it is necessary by being instructed in the faith to die for the sinful conduct that is passed on to us from our fathers by the means of the circumcision of our heart and our ears. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Acts 7, 51. An uncircumcised heart and uncircumcised ear is such a union that will not allow a person to receive God's order so that he can uh, submit himself to that words of that person that possesses the power of a father from God. Second, in order to be delivered from the lion and the bear, it is necessary to leave spiritual infancy and stop being attracted by various winds of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in cunning craftiness upon the expanses of the internet and other informational sources. Third, in order to be delivered from the lion and the, and the bear, it is necessary to be a student of Jesus Christ. What is sown into the thorns people confess what is uh, began to evangelize rebuke demons confess things that they sow into thorns they confess that they materialistically possess everything that I in this year will have a million dollars thinking about this and meditating about it uh, that's how they teach in churches This, these are these thorns that uh, and so to be delivered from such a nature, uh, nature of thorns it is necessary to be a student of your teacher that is that person that is clothed into the authority of a father from God and this means to tend the sheep of your father being led by the revelations given to him by God David states that a person if he does not tend the thoughts of his father and is within the uh, uh, then he is within the power of hell David was delivered from the power of hell because he tended the flocks of his father and was not investigating the informational uh, <clears throat> the uh, sources of information from other places their inner thoughts is that their houses will last forever, their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. Nevertheless, men, though in honor, does not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. That is the way of those who are foolish and of their posterity who approve their sayings. Like sheep they are laid in the grave, death shall feed on them and the upright shall have dominion over them in the morning and their beauty shall be consumed in the grave far from their dwelling but God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave for he shall receive me Psalm 49 11 through 15 he says although he is within this 
uh, within the midst of these people, God will deliver his soul from the power of the grave. For David to be freed from Goliath, that represented his will, who was being controlled by the old person, to kill the lion and the bear was not enough. He needed to one more a power that was unearthly and that was the Holy Spirit as the oil that anointed him as a king over all of Israel. If he would not have received this power in oil from Samuel as a king over all Israel, this Holy Spirit, he would not have overcome Goliath. He did not just need the ability to overcome the lion and the bear and confess this, but also be anointed as a king. To be anointed as a king over Israel is to be anointed as king over his body or over the emotional aspect of his soul to make your body as a house in, of prayer. We need to keep in mind that a warrior in prayer as David is always an anointed of the Lord at the same time an anointed of the Lord as Saul is not always a warrior in prayer. A warrior in prayer that is anointed to the kingdom over his body in the form of David always trusts and relies upon God. At the same time the anointed of the Lord that is anointed to the kingdom over his body in the form of Saul not being a warrior in prayer relies and trusts upon the multitude of his army and his sword and his horse. He also put David in these very same things, but David walked in them and said, I cannot battle in this armor. And he gave to Saul the sword and the armor and went against the person that was almost two times higher than him and in weight was greater than him and he was fully covered in armor in bronze armor to get and he came out with a stick that had two strings and there was skin and there was a stone that was put into it and he would release it and the stone would fly. And so when they would throw a stone at a distance, every one of us, one of them was so accurate that they would actually hit uh, they were extremely accurate with, with these stones. At a, and the tribe of Benjamin, 600,000 men who were armed, every one of them would actually uh, hit a hair uh, when they would, uh, when they would uh, throw the stones with the sling. And David was the same way. He, Goliath saw that he was young and Goliath saw that he had no sword he had no uh, rod he had nothing he just had the sling and he was and he then said am I a dog that you come out with me with sticks and stones and so he said to him what do you, what do you think you're a warrior you're worse than a dog I will kill you with that very stick you came out with and Goliath being angry and David quickly came to him and he selected five stones from the stream and why he chose five he did 
and he only released one, and we know five, is acknowledging over yourself the authority of your father, the fact that he tends the thoughts of his father, symbol of acknowledging the <clears throat> five uh, roles of service God has given. And so he aimed because he aimed in such a way, uh, he, ch he chose uh, smooth stones and he aimed perfectly into the head of Goliath. He ran up to them then, grabbed his very large sword, chopped his head off with that sword and lifted the sword and lifted the head of Goliath in his left hand and said, in the name of the Lord God of Israel and the army of Saul uh, began to celebrate and he and the Philistine army saw that this happened and became afraid. And there was a great destruction amongst the Philistine nation because of David who destroyed Goliath. We'll keep in mind that when we're talking about Israel, we're talking about what's happening in the body of a person. David and Saul and Goliath and the army of Israel, thoughts, of his father, these are the thoughts of his father. He led them, and what was uh, the adversary was the thoughts of man, and in this way he overcame him. The anointed of the Lord that is anointed to the kingdom in the form of Saul, not being a warrior in prayer, we see that he relied upon his horse, upon his sword, but was afraid to confront Goliath because, and David uh, was not. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. Goliath had was a giant. He had great strength. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy to deliver deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. Psalm 33, 16 through 22. He says, may your mercy be upon us because we hope in you. In, in the measure in which we hope upon God, that is the measure in which his mercy it can be shown. That's what he prays here. Seventh, to give God the proper basis to be our deliverer from many sorrows, it is necessary to possess the virtue of a servant of the Lord, which is demonstrated in a broken heart and a contrite spirit. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves as such that have a contrite spirit. Many are the affliction of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He guards all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. Psalm 34, 18 through 22. The symbol of the servants of the Lord is the symbol of people that have given the members of their body as servants of righteousness for holy works. But the many sorrows <clears throat> and afflictions come from the sinners that are within the midst of the saints, that in their heart hate them because of their righteous form of life and are not with them, and their mouth 
is uh, very uh, speaks smooth things, but they uh, <clears throat> conceal their evil uh, intentions, evil thoughts of their heart. Considering the state of a of a broken heart and humble and contrite spirit, the servants of the Lord are not able to defend themselves against the evil because of their zeal for the truth, but because they rely upon the protection of God and the deliverance of God, they turn to God for help and proclaim uh, the wrath of God against the evil and lawless, which then allows God to deliver them that are within their midst. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it, nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide from him. But it was you, a man my equal, my companion, and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in the throng. Let's see what he says further. He couldn't... Battle with them alone. Let death seize them. Let them go down alive into hell, for wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning, and at noon I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. He has redeemed my soul in peace from the battle that was against me, for there were many against me. God will hear and afflict them, even he who abides from old because they do not change therefore they do not fear God he has put forth his hand against those who were at peace with him he has broken his covenant the words of his mouth were smoother than butter but war was in their heart his words were softer than oil yet they were drawn swords Psalm 55 12 through 21 we experience this personally and I've been experienced this since I was a child God has made me very resistant uh, in this situation or in this regard that I absolutely am not affected in the, and and it's I absolutely do not care what people say absolutely they do not shake me they do not make me sad or shake me I rejoice in the Lord and if it was. It's a personal threat. If it's not a personal threat, then I don't pay attention. But if it's a personal threat directly at me, then I begin to pray. Let death seize them, let them go down alive into hell, for wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. Because you can proclaim this regarding the lawless and wicked in your midst. And so it's very important to understand the principle based upon which God receives the proper grounds to deliver in this world our soul and deliver those that rise against us, that ascribe their uh, evil things uh, to us and God can't do anything for us, although he has promised, if we don't ask him about this in faith. To ask for the deliverance of God and deliverance from those who hate us, the enemies that hate us, is to clothe our prayer into justice. And so we see here the verdict that is written against these people. We see in Scripture the prayer of faith is a prayer that is uh, persistent, that continues until you receive what you are asking for. 
Then he spoke to them a parable that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying there was a certain city, uh, there in a certain city was a judge who did not fear God nor regard men. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, God, uh, get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterwards he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard men, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she wearies me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge did. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Luke 18, 1 through 8. Will he find hope upon God on the earth? Adversary is that person that attempts to claim for himself what belongs to us, which is the fruit of our righteousness, the received promise that belongs to the door of our hope. And now I would like to bring forth one place of scripture about those enemies who rise against us, the adversaries, that often was interpreted inaccurately because it was pulled from the general spirit of scripture. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans 12, 19 through 21. What, we look, what, we, what I just read, when you just read it, we know that David says, may they go to hell and so forth. It's as if uh, contradicting to that. The first phrase where it says, give place to God's wrath. In this situation, uh, the truth is that we are not to demonstrate wrath against those that are in our midst, that are enemies. And also, the untruth is that we need to overcome uh, all that is being done against us without we're speaking or without doing anything. This is not true. This is how it has been taught in the past, but this is not true. Because we don't give God the ability to avenge us. We don't give God proper grounds, then you need to give God proper grounds in your word so he can avenge us, but we don't. The verdict, uh, the just judgment that's spoken against the enemy is God's words that we don't confess. First, in order to give place to the wrath of God for the vengeance of God against the enemies that rise against us, it is necessary to have a broken heart and a contrite spirit. As it is written, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. First, you need to have the right state inside. You need to be one who fears God. Second, in order to give place to the wrath of God for the vengeance of of God against those who rise up against us, it is necessary to confess this wrath with your mouth that is contained in the written word of God in the just vengeance and just judgments of God. He says, give place to my wrath. This doesn't mean that you just read it and that's it. To give place for his wrath is to confess his wrath. How do I give place for his wrath? I need to confess his wrath and then God will take those words 
of his wrath and will protect us with the words of his wrath. I need to confess the words of his wrath. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the written judgment, this honor, have all saints praise the Lord. Psalm 149, 5-9. We need to uh, spoke and the written ju uh, judgments of God. In this way, we give place to God's wrath. You don't need to silently overcome the lawlessness of these people when they pour mud against you. Uh, you need to uh, give place to God's wrath, confess God's wrath against them. In this way, will you then give place to God's wrath. Third, in order to give place to God's wrath so that we can punish those in our midst, the sinner that is against us, it is necessary that if the enemy that is amongst us, if he's hungry, you feed him, and if he's thirsty, give him drink, But because doing so, you heap coals upon his head and will not overcome you will not be overcome with evil but overcome evil with good understanding the help the purpose of which is to heap up coals on their head this is a, a understood form of help opens up doors uh, into the essence of our enemies the which will then separate uh, themselves from life and they will then experience themselves in hell because that's what it's referring to here when you do uh, good to these people but you have the goal this needs to be a voluntary help and understood it being an enemy you but he's in need at this time and you help them and you do what in this time? You heap coals upon his head. If you imagine, if you put coals upon a, the head of someone, what will happen to him? This is a strike upon the head. This doesn't mean you're helping him. This means you're punishing him with your help. This is one of the surprising forms of punishment when the righteous help these people. This is help will absolutely demonstrates itself in op as opening of the doors, access to the devil and to the life of these people. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was learning on uh, one. There was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore mentioned to him to ask, "Who is it? Whom he's about whom he spoke?" Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, "Lord, who is it?" By helping, we open up the uh, access for the devil into the life of, of the enemy. Jesus answered, let 
It is he who, to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now see what happens after he did this. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. Your help will put a person in such a situation, one that is wicked and lawless, that's doing things against you amongst the saints, that they will no longer be given forgiveness as it happened with Judas. Jesus did good to him, John 13, 20-27. This was the last uh, thing that he did good uh, for him. He did good to him uh, before then as well. But he dipped the bread, gave it to him, and he gave it only to him and not ever anyone else. And this was easy to do because Jesus was laying upon the uh, chest of Judas, and John was laying upon the chest of Jesus. If you remember, this was a Roman habit. They would sit in a circle, would eat, and they partly uh, lay. And John was upon the chest of of Jesus, laying upon the breast or chest of Jesus. And he asked him, he told uh, John, uh, Peter told John, ask Jesus who it is. And he says, the one I dip uh, the bread, this is the one that we went, that with whom we went into the house of God, the one we shared bread with. And he gives the bread to Judas. And after this, the devil or Satan entered him. Fourth, in order to give place to God's wrath against those who uh, rise against us, we need to live under the shadow of the Almighty so that we can say to the Lord, you are my fortress, you are the one upon whom, in whom I trust. You see what we need to confess to be delivered from these enemies. This is the fourth uh, component to state to the fourth uh, state before the Lord, you are my protector, you are the God in whom I trust. I know that you will deliver me from the nets of the evil one. This means to be obedient and follow the words of the person who is a father from God. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days, that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. Psalm 34, 11 through 17. So that God deliver us from all our troubles, we need to confess God's wrath, confess the words of God's wrath against them. This is what it means do not uh, give place to God's wrath this place has always been explained from my youth I always heard this that we just need to without we just need to overcome the lawless works they do but here it's not written that we need to 
and I've experienced, I'll bring forth this uh, incident that occurred when I confessed who God is for me and what he's done for me. People that had criminal pasts uh, would become angry and would come to me. They called me out, KGB called me out, and two captains came out. They called me into a room, and one began to cuss me out. He was cussing, calling me all kinds of terrible, dirty words, and he was, I will press a button, and nothing will remain of you. And I waited until he was done saying all this, and then I said, are you done? He said, yes. And I said, listen to what I now say to you. You have a button, but you can't press it because you don't have the authority to. I'm called, not by you, but the head of KGB. But you are just one of the captains. Second, just so you know, I have such a button that if I press it, and the one that is... Uh, in control, he's greater than the head of KGB and the one that is above them. You will be very sorry, but so you know how sorry you will be, God will begin wrath in your house. He will begin to uh, show his wrath against your children and wife first. And then he told me, well, let's then be at peace and not do these things. Imagine, these are officers of KGB. Tell me, why did they become afraid of a God that they don't believe in? Because this was power. This was a supernatural fear that they came upon him. I saw this. A supernatural fear came upon people. I was surprised when I say this and said this. People that, lawless people that were in their midst, that were in my midst, were not afraid. When one of my friends began to defend the unclean and a wicked person and came to me and said, where's your God that he's not punishing me if I am uh, going against you? I told them, from your mouth a person will be justified and from his mouth he will be condemned. You uh, said things against my God. Uh, and you'll meet with my God uh, on this situation. And two weeks later, this gentleman uh, died. He this, uh, was a student. He was a great man. But then he took the other side and became an enemy that spoke very bad things against me and wanted to leave the church. Question four, by what results do we examine ourselves that God is truly our deliverer in achieving our calling? The first element by which we can determine that God is our deliverer is by knowing that our tent is in safety and our ability to look after our own house so we not sin. Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore, do not despise the chastening of the Almighty. For he bruises, but he binds up. He wounds, but his hands make whole. He shall deliver you in six troubles. Yes, even seven. No evil shall touch you. 
In famine he shall redeem you from death, and in war from the power of the sword. You shall be hidden from the scourge of the tongue, and you shall not be afraid of destruction when it comes. You shall laugh at destruction and famine, and you shall not be afraid of the beasts of the earth. For you shall have a covenant with the stones of the fields, and the beasts of the fields shall be at peace with you. You shall know that your tent is in peace, and you shall visit your dwelling and find nothing amiss. Job 5, 17 through 24, according to this place of scripture, the knowledge that we are able to receive that our tent is in peace and that we can uh, visit our dwelling will happen by uh, knowledge from the Almighty. Knowledge that comes from the Almighty given to us in the form of punishment and correction is the, for the purpose of delivering us from six troubles and seven troubles so that God can deliver us from these seven troubles uh, we can study, uh, know these by these elements that we will study if God will deliver us from uh, hunger at the time of hunger, God will deliver us from death. At the time of war, God will deliver us from the hand of the sword when we receive the ability to cover from a slanderous tongue. The fact that we are able to have a deliverance will be that we will have an agreement with the stones of the field and the beasts of the field shall be at peace with us. And so, unfortunately, it looks like our time is up. We will continue this thought. It's very, very interesting. Uh, in the next uh, service, uh, we will take a, a closer look at at the seven uh, evils that God will deliver us from. Right now, we will bend our knees and our heads and pray and thank God for the words that we were able to receive today that are a revelation for us. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I thank you for your mercy and for your truth that we today have received in your words of grace, where you have shown us in what way we are able to save ourselves, collaborate with you so we can save our soul from death and our body to adopt it by your redemption, in what way we are able to be protected from our enemies, proclaiming and stating your wrath, stating your wrath, in the words of your vengeance and judgment that is written in your holy words, in, your, in the scriptures, that you have spoken as a verdict against the lawless and wicked that are within our midst, and that speak against us, rise against us, and condemn us. We thank you for this revelation that our heart will no longer condemn us when we will confess your wrath against the lawless and wicked that are within our midst. 
We thank you that we don't need to state specific names. We just pray, Lord, may your wrath be upon the wicked and the lawless within our midst so that our midst would be cleansed from those that do not have faith in themselves because you said that not all have faith and pray to be delivered from these people. And only because of your confession of your wrath and your judgments are you able to deliver us. We thank you for this revelation, for this power that you have made us warriors in prayer that we, with your name, your holy name, can destroy the giants in our life, destroy the giants in our in ourselves and out of us as well. Thank you for the power of your word in our in us and in our mouth. May our mouth be cleansed and may they work together with our renewed mind as one command. May you be blessed in the confessions of your people and may your people be glorified in the confessions of the faith of their heart. We thank you for this lot, for this privilege, for this, and we worship before you our great God, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior who alone is wise be glory and majesty dominion and power both now and forever. Amen.